you protect what you love. Hunting is a life, not a lifestyle, it's a life. This is Hunters to show people how great of a job we're doing for conservation, providing for ourselves all the things you and I understand. I think you kind of owe it to the animal that you're hunting to be as prepared as possible. You know, as I get older, I appreciate the laughs and the time and the experience. Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. We're podcasting again from the QDMA convention, and Mr. Lindsey Thomas has been, uh, you know, nice enough to sit down with us out of his ever-busy day. I know uh, we talked to uh, Brian yesterday, and <laughs> both of y'all had to be running around crazy at this thing. This is a really cool convention y'all got. This has been me and George both our first time to be able to come down here. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's pretty laid back, too, as far as, you know, coming in here, going to listen to the classes and stuff. It's I really enjoy it, the way the atmosphere is here. You're not running, having to walk four miles to go to one spot and four miles back to go to another seminar. So I really like it. Well, good. I'm glad y'all enjoyed it. it. Like you said, it's it's a little bit of a race for us on the staff. And, yeah. Uh, it can be pretty busy and stressful once we hit the ground here and making sure everything's running smoothly and all the pieces and parts are in place for everybody to have a good time. You know, I, I've always said I want to go to somebody else's convention one day and <laughs> and uh, just enjoy, you know, being right. there. But, it, yeah, it's a little bit of a race for us, but I'm glad I am glad I was uh, had a few minutes to sit down with you guys. Thank y'all for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, the seminars have been great. Uh, man, I, that's the first time I've been able to listen to uh, Craig Harper speak on the habitat stuff. That yeah. was super interesting. I, I learned, I learned plenty of stuff. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing for me because that's where I my passion is was you know growing food plots and whatnot and trying to learn that different stuff. And hey, I'm just sitting there looking at him, my jaw open like, uh. <laughs> Listening to Craig talk, as y'all found out this morning, can be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. Um, he is such a wealth of knowledge. But yeah. what's particularly impressive about Craig is how, how much he knocks down old ideas about habitat we all just sort of accept. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's got the science to back it up. He's done this research. You know, he has dug into this stuff. He's not, this isn't just his opinion. Yeah. This is science. And it often will change your mind about a lot of things you thought were uh, accepted practices you should be doing that that maybe you shouldn't be so yeah, yeah craig is amazing yeah I, I'm, like i said i learned a lot but um i could chase that rabbit hole for a while but to get to the main point of why we why we wanted to talk to you today is we really been wanting to talk just strictly about um deer management and and our ideas of it and what better place and who better to talk to than you at the qdma convention and Mainly, um, and Jordan, I know you can you can talk about this too. And this this is kind of where I where I want to go with this is like, I can remember when I was a kid, you know, back when deer hunting meant driving up to Mimi and Daddy Dole's house, and we would go and we'd sit and hang out around, uh, you know, the the fire at night, and then we'd all go sit on our green patches in the morning, and you know the you know neighbors, our cousins would come by and visit, and you talk about, you know. You see a deer, what'd you see? If you saw a deer, you shot at it. Did you hit it? You know, it was just, you know, the whole, you know, kind of mindset of deer hunting when I was a kid was legitimately the whole if it's brown, it's down kind of thing. And just to see how much that's changed just in my lifetime. Yeah, it's not that long, what, 15, yeah, it, 15 it, to 20 years ago is when we were, you know, that first starting to hunt age. And just it, the whole the whole perception of, of deer hunting and management seems to have just changed drastically for the good and I you know and I credit that to, to organizations like QDMA and that's kind of what I want to talk to to you about today is how how all that came about. Well you know uh, I mean you, you really hit the nail on the head we kind of had a, a paradigm shift we had to go through um, you know our parents 
who hunted. My dad, I know, uh, that generation came up in an era where you know we were trying to restore whitetails, uh, and the mantra was, um, "Don't ever shoot a doe. That's the future of yeah, your population." Right. And generally, you know, the first legal buck that came by, which in those days was you know anything with antlers, right. you took it because if you didn't take that deer, it might be a while before you saw another legal buck, and that usually meant pressure was high on yearling bucks. Yeah. Um, and we know from those days, the data we've got, um, even into the, the late 80s, that on a national level, something like well over 60 percent, 64, 65 percent of the national deer, I'm, I'm sorry, the national buck harvest, 65 mm-hmm. percent were yearling bucks nationally. Now, it was even higher in several states um, when you talk about an average on the national level, right. you know, and, and so it took, uh, you know, that was one of the things that Joe Hamilton saw when he founded QDMA was that uh, across the board, hunters had, you know, by the by the late 70s, 80s, had passed the point at which those guidelines were useful and practical for the situation on the ground. Deer herds were restored pretty much, and in many cases, becoming too dense, too high, too many deer out there for the habitat. Nobody was taking those, so the, the populations just kept growing. But you know, again, we, we continued to, to really hammer the yearling buck uh, segment out there every year. And what right. we were ending up with was deer populations that were uh, too high for the habitat and what the habitat could feed, and yet very few bucks making it to adulthood. Right. And so Joe took it upon himself to begin this organization as a way to reach out to hunters and say, there's a different way, and you ought to look at your situation case by case, uh, where you hunt, and start doing a little trigger management. Start thinking about what the uh, long-term implications are when you kill a buck, depending on what age he is, but also, should you be taking does, and if so, how many, because those decisions ultimately will improve your deer hunting in a lot of ways. So he started it that way. That was QDMA's mission for years, was teaching a lot of hunters that. Now, we had a lot of friends and supporters and folks in the media and uh, companies and other organizations, too, that began to preach that, that message. And, yeah, in the long term, it's, it's had an effect. Today, yearling buck harvest rates are as low as they're ever been. Um, we have now reached a point in 2015, this is an interesting uh, statistic that you'll find in our whitetail report, um, tracking that percentage of yearling bucks in the national buck harvest each year. It came down and down and down through the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s. But at the same time, if you look, what's happened as pressure on yearling bucks has dropped, Right. The numbers of three and a half year old and older bucks available has gone up, mm-hmm. as you would expect, right. and so the, the, that segment of the harvest has grown. In 2015, that was the very first season where nationally those flipped, and we started killing more bucks on a national level of three and a half years old or older than we were killing yearlings. So you know that was a real milestone right, in the yeah. quality of hunting in, in North America for whitetails. Yeah, and it had to be encouraging too. So I, I can think, you know, like, because I, I wasn't around during those times, but I can remember, like, my dad and stuff talking about when he was hunting, they had doe days. You know, like, that in, in Mississippi, there was, like, only, there was a day out of the season when you were allowed to shoot a doe. Like, what was the – how was it accepted when they started – when they moved from completely from don't shoot any does to we need to start taking some does? How was that accepted? You know, was it, like, pretty – go over pretty smoothly was there kind of like an extreme there at first or or how how did that go over it it took a while i mean y'all know as deer hunters we all have ideas that we grew up knowing believing being taught you know maybe they're not necessarily some of those ideas aren't necessarily valid but but once they're in your head you know you 
sometimes those ideas can be hard to yeah. to shed. Might as well be gospel truth, yeah. Exactly. And so this idea of don't ever take a doe, that was a hard idea to um, to get out of most hunters' minds. Not that you always need to be taking does, but right. what QDMA taught was sometimes there's an appropriate level of doe harvest to help balance the population with the habitat, but also balance your number of, of does to bucks. Um, so getting hunters to buy onto that, it took a little time. Right. Um, it was 1999. That was the first year nationally that we killed more antlerless deer than antlered bucks. Um, and I use that term antlerless deer because we're including button bucks in that when you right. look at deer harvest and the way state agencies measure it. Right. Um, but in terms of antlerless versus antlered bucks, 1999 was the first year we killed more antlerless than antlered. Again, that was another big milestone, but but we've been having doe days and, and doe tags and, and opportunities and encouragement from agencies to take does long before that. Right. Um, it just took a while. It, just, to yeah, get it was there. a slow curve. Yeah, because I mean, and think about it now, that, that just goes back to a testament to, of how good of a job y'all have done because all you, you hear now, you hear about doe quotas and that's like, that's just a, like a like a main point you hear about yeah. deer management is you got to take this, you know, not just take does off your property. You've got to take the right number of does off your property. And then that's, you know, the, the thought of just not shooting any does isn't anything you hear about anymore. Yeah. I but, can remember, you know, when I was getting to the age where I could like get around and go hunting by myself and I was watching all these TV shows and stuff talking about, you need to go kill does and you kill does, you know, it's not a big deal to kill doe. I was still part of one of those clubs that was like, it's not good to kill all these does. Well, I was listening to the people on TV, so I just went to hammering does, and it was not good on my part as far as the people accepting that in the club. Yeah. I got, you need to quit shooting. You're trigger happy. You don't need to shoot them does. Wait on a buck, and a buck can be a spike, and it's fine, you know? Yeah. So that was a hard, wheel, uh, hard pill for those guys to swallow when all this started changing over, seemed like. Yeah, that's why I think it's, it's – it, you know, me and Jordan find this as interesting as we do is I feel like we were our, our kind of age group that we're in was kind of in the middle of that transition period. Mm-hmm. And that's why I find it as interesting as I do, because like I said, I feel like the, the attitude has just shifted so much in a little bit of time. It's even, you know, to that point that you're making, it shifted to the point that many hunters got very comfortable with the idea of being able to take a few does each season you know that was a lot of our backstrap and freezer meat for many people you know if you didn't get a buck you got your does and you know so you had your venison Mm -hmm. to the point that um we had some situations here in the last 10 years 15 years maybe in localized areas where some issues like coyotes uh, in certain areas reached a saturation point where they began taking high percentages of fawns each spring and those hunters in some of those areas had reached a point they didn't realize it where adding continued doe harvest at the level they were used to on top of the fawn predation that coyotes were creating was seriously dropping the deer numbers in many cases more than they needed to be yeah, you had Same, two, two main hunters in the woods and both of them taking that's right exceeded amounts of deer and that's not sustainable same thing with ehd we had uh, 2007 and 2012 were, right. were some really bad record mm-hmm. years for the ehd virus yeah. which is the virus transmitted by biting gnats that deer get in late summer mm-hmm. and we had some areas where populations were hit really hard and again hunters who were used to getting their does just kind of figured they you know this new idea had set in that you can take your does and and again in some areas on top of the ehd loss 
we knocked some populations back further than they needed to be. Right. You know, the point in all of this from QMA's perspective is we have always taught that doe harvest is something you do at, at an appropriate level that you monitor year to year. It's never something that just is rigid. Either you right. never take does or you always take a bunch. It's, it's, it should be flexible. And hunters should be monitoring things like fawn predation and things like when they have a, an EHD outbreak locally. Looking at the signs in the habitat, you know, you can put a wire cage in your food plot and quickly get a very good assessment mm-hmm. of uh, the, the, the amount of food out there versus the population. Things like that can tell you what you need to do and how you need to react season to season yeah. to, to, for example, back off your doe harvest when you need to. Because, you know, you don't want to just keep driving the population down, down, down. Right. We want, as, you know, QMA, we're deer hunters. We, you want the right number of deer out there. Right. There's no reason to have less deer than the, than the habitat would support because then that's fewer deer for you to see when you're hunting, fewer deer for your freezer. Right. You want the right number. So sometimes... Yeah, it's a little back and forth on this, and and, yeah. and many hunters are are now getting that you know gaining that idea that that uh, this is something that's flexible. You have to think about it year to year. You have to monitor your population right. and be responsible for thinking about okay, this year, can we continue to take the number of does we took last year? Should we take more? Should we take less? Yeah, that's where we you know I always talk you know I talk highly about our our state agency in Mississippi. You know we have the DMAP program where you have like the surveys and they come out and they you know and they tell you. This is your doe quota. You need to take X amount of does off your property, and that's a that's a huge thing that that we have in Mississippi, mm-hmm. um, that that gives you the you know the the ability to to manage the place that you're on properly. Um, I'll go on to like because some of the stuff you said earlier was some stuff I wanted to hit on already. Uh, a misconception that you that you hear about you know quality deer management a lot is that people just assume that you're talking about growing these huge mega deer, and it just seems like a you know, to some folks, it seems like just this, you know, out of reach goal. And they're like, well, no sense in me trying that because I'm never going to grow a 180 on my property. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people now are ashamed if they kill a four-year-old six-point because yeah. it's not a 140-inch ten-point that's four years old, you know. Right. Yeah, that's a great point, and it's, it's, it can be a point of frustration for a lot of people practicing QDM, you know, and, and there's um, – Two things there, really, to say to someone who's trying to, to jump into QDM. First, it, it, there's nothing about it that says you have to jump in and immediately wait till everything's five and a half years old before you shoot a buck. Right. Okay, It's a stair-step process. Um, my first buck as a hunter was a yearling, mm-hmm. yearling buck. And a lot of us, maybe y'all too, a lot of people on the QDMA staff, our first deer was, was a yearling buck. Yeah, we're and in our, the same club on that one. Yeah, and our feeling <laughs> is... a year and a half old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, when you're a young hunter, you're, you know, you're looking for some success and experience, and frankly, we all know a yearling buck is a pretty easy deer to see in the woods. Right. That's, that just sort of explains that. And we feel every hunter should have the same opportunity to, to graduate into QDM. If right. you've never killed a two-and-a-half-year-old buck, that's where you should start with QDM. Start beginning to protect most or all of your yearling bucks and, and set your sights on a two-and-a-half-year-old. Once you achieve that, move on up to three and then kind of take it as it goes. And, and your experience level and your desires as a hunter, let that guide how fast you move up those stairs. Because, you know, if, if no one's ever practiced QDM in your area and yearling buck 
pressure has been fairly high. Right. And you jump into this going, I'm going to wait for a five-and-a-half-year-old. How many five-and-a-half-year-olds do you think are out there? Right. There's probably not many. Yeah. How I many did, years does yeah. it take to produce a five-and-a-half-year-old yeah. buck? I, I, I did that to, to a degree. I, you know, I was in a, uh, a deer camp. I was probably 16, 17 years old, and I'd been watching a lot of hunting TV and heard about deer management, and I just decided, I was like, man, those guys, they talk about just waiting and passing these deer up, and if I do that, I'm going to kill me a giant. And, you know, I and that just – I didn't know I was missing a few steps before I got there and I was kind of in that boat you know I was waiting for a deer that wasn't going to come because there was you know I'd like I said I'd skipped a bunch of steps I was just expecting to get the reward and not the stair step process to get there. And yeah. I firsthand witnessed that when I joined a club in North Mississippi and me and another guy were you know kind of heading it up and I had a little bit of experience you know as far as doing what I did for work knowing you know what a quality deer herd kind of looks like and I started putting in these rules to try to eventually get it to where the deer end could be top as what it could be in the area you know and I put I think it was a three-year-old rule the first year I wanted to implement and after you'd have thought I'd shot all these people's dogs yeah you know and <laughs> they just didn't understand the, the concept of it just shooting you know the first deer they see and we actually passed it, and it went on through that year. And the next year, everybody started killing rack bucks. And that was so gratifying to me to see that happen. Everybody caught on understood what we were doing from there. But it's kind of one of the deals. they got to see it happen before they can really understand it. Right. Yeah, and you don't, you know, like I said, you don't have to wait for full maturity. And you even, some people find, and I believe this too, is something you should look at in your program is mm-hmm. um, not just, you know, age and antler size, but how about huntability? Yeah. And there are some people that have found, okay, so you, you, you kill some two-and-a-half-year-olds and then you move on up and now you're increasing your numbers of some three-and-a-half-year-olds out there in the population. And then some people say, well, I'm going to wait till four. And some even say I'm going to wait till five and sometimes even older once they get to that point. But here's the thing, you know, a four and a five and a six-year-old buck and on up, those deer are not easy to see. Think yeah. about how many seasons they've survived out there. There's a reason most of the time they're they're still out there sometimes. They may be... Um, more nocturnal than than their cohort their, right. their friends um, or whatever just just uh, slicker or more wise yeah. or whatever it might be and the point is that sometimes you know if you pass a three and a half year old buck there's no guarantee you're going to see him again right sometimes simply for the efficiency of having more opportunity to take a buck but also it'd be a, an adult buck with a nice set of antlers. Three and a half year old, three and a half can sometimes be a sweet spot. Now, I'm not right. saying, you know, it doesn't work. For, it does work for somebody to pass them on up to four and five. But I've also known some folks that really worked at building those numbers of older deer, five and six and seven, and were finding they were losing a lot of them. Either they were, you know, I mean, bucks die of all kinds of things. Right, yeah. Um, whether that's being shot by someone else, died of disease, or just never seen again. Yeah. Um, so there's a choice you have to make there. Yeah, and, and one thing I wanted to, to hit on there, because it's something that you were – you were touching on is I had a guy that was um he worked a lot in in land management and working with landowners and you know making their land more huntable and one thing that he said was a lot of things that that you know were people that that are in this line of work where they go wrong is they see a piece of property and they all, all you know all they want to do is make it to grow the biggest deer possible and they bypass the the most important and that's landowner goals you know what are those people happy with you know what's and that's something you know I feel like that's what you were touching on is and again a, a I think is a misconception of QDM is, you know, it's 
it's about hunting it's about hunting a healthy you know making your deer herd healthy but it's also about you know making the hunting happy for you you know like i said you don't have to you know be hunting six-year-old bucks if you don't want to right am i correct on that that's right you need to be setting that level at at where you're getting the most recreational enjoyment out of your your deer population um and it you know my family has has land in southeast georgia Uh, we've done qdm over the years when we started it you know at that time you could rattle and grunt till you were blue in the face and nothing mm-hmm. was going to respond. Right. But once we began protecting younger bucks and moving more bucks into adult age classes and taking some does so that you're balancing that sex ratio, what happens is there's more rut competition because you've got a balanced number of does and bucks out there. Bucks are more visible. And the one, thing, one of the things we found was grunting and rattling all of a sudden work extremely well where mm-hmm. it had never worked before. Right. That makes hunting a lot more fun. I mean, we get to see fights. You get to see bucks chasing does and more scrapes, more rubs. You know, it, that, and, it, and it's a, a lot more enjoyment right. that comes with that. Yeah. And, it, and it really, in the end, for us, you know, we've gotten a lot of satisfaction out of doing that. It's got nothing to do with antler inches um, or putting deer on the wall or anything else. Our hunting is a whole lot more fun as just a result yeah. of some, some population management. Yeah. So it's about more than just, um, you know, Boone and Crockett score or, or whether you give your taxidermist some business. Yeah, I, And I can speak to that just because, you know, hunting, I grew up hunting north and central mississippi hunting in pine rows you know if you're going to get if all you could get excited about was a huge rack buck you might as well just stay at the house because it just wasn't going to happen there when i was a kid you know and so you know i've always had the mindset you know if he's a mature deer and if i got excited about it that's the hunt to me you know and that's just the way i saw it and i'm still that way you know uh, how long do you think like if you started with a property that's been poorly managed for years and years and years just a guesstimation how long do you think it would take to get that property back to a sustained healthy herd population wise i mean it'll it'll just depend on um a lot of things on on the ground there mm, there's a lot you know, of variables in how there. much how much acres do you have and, and what's happening on the ones around you mm-hmm. you know even on small acreage and this is what we tell folks <laughs> who say hey can you do qdm on um, 10 or 20 or 50 acres right. and you certainly can mm-hmm. but um, you know you can have the best habitat and best hunting there if you, particularly if you manage your pressure on a small property like that but if everyone else around you is taking yearling bucks from a population standpoint no you're you're not really going to be able to move the needle in age structure you're going to have to have some agreement with folks around you a little cooperation it doesn't have to be everybody you know what we found is if you can get just a handful of people in your neighborhood to go along with you on protecting yearling bucks it'll make a big difference for everybody mm-hmm. so you know that the answer to that question is how many of those variables do you have in running in your right. favor it can happen quickly you know if um if uh, you're protecting you know because what we know a yearling buck has very high survival rates naturally when you take hunting away mm-hmm. naturally most of yearlings will make it to two and a half if you just don't shoot them right. so if if most of them are making it through you are going to see them as two and a half year olds and even three and on down now again they die of other things as time goes on mm-hmm. it's a it's a vanishing resource even without hunting taking those deer out um, but can you soon get to the point where maybe 10 uh, percent uh, to 15 percent of the bucks out there are five and a half or older yeah it, it can happen fairly quickly right yeah. i was just that's a, one thing you know i always heard a lot of questions like it ain't gonna happen overnight you need to I, i've always personally when i'd be telling somebody i'd say give it five years 
is what I've always said. After, I mean, if you want to get, you know, a three or four year old age class built up, you need at least as long as it takes to get that deer to three and a half years old. Well, like I said, it's a trickle process, and remember that you're you're still going to be having fun along the way. This is right. about fun, right? Uh, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're protecting most of your yearling bucks, and let's say you've never killed a two and a half year old, that's where you're going to start, and you take him you're still not going to kill all the two-and-a-half-year-olds right. out there. Those deer are a year older. They're a little bit wiser. Some of them are going to slip through to three-and-a-half, too. Right. And, and next thing you know, you've got a three-and-a-half-year-old, and you are trickling bucks into that adult age class over time. You can even, as we point out, you know, uh, you don't have to protect every single yearling buck. If you've got some young hunters or new hunters in the area or a hunt with you who'd like to take a yearling and that deer would make them happy, you know, a one or a few yearling bucks out of your local group is not going to ruin yeah. your QDM program. If most of them are still moving on through and trickling through, you're going to be, you know, building those numbers. Yeah. And I, I personally, I love your stance on that because mm-hmm. it, 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 just a, you know, it's not personal. All about waiting until they're four. Right. It, it's it's a personal pet peeve of mine. Like if you take, you know, a kid, and it's you know never killed a deer before, whatever. Or even and they, a first time hunter it doesn't have to be a kid. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're it's a first time hunter and you and he wants to kill a state legal buck by all means kill that buck you know if it's because it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you if it's not gonna hurt your population then why not because like you said it's about having fun right now i mean if you got 500 acres and you got you know 15 youngsters all want to kill a little yearling buck yeah is that going to have an impact right, on, the, right. on the population because remember we're managing a population you're not managing Correct. individual deer mm-hmm. right all right this isn't you know we're not raising cattle or you're worried about your prized deer right um, this is a population and so if most of the yearling bucks are making it you're doing good you're making progress but if you take a significant number of those you know that's going to have an impact on that age cohort going forward down the line mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of of uh you know, customizing everything at the local level. And the other thing I want to add about this, and, and you talked about score and folks going into this thinking, I want to grow 180s or whatever. Well, if you're in an area where that's realistic, more power to you. But, right. you know, don't forget that most of us, me included, don't live in a region or hunt in a region where that's yeah. realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, my family's land is in the lower coastal plain of Georgia. It's sandy soils. It's coastal region. It's fairly poor habitat for deer. You know, if we grow a 160-pound mature buck, that's a, that's, a, that's a good one. Right. And the number one deer in the county, Boone and Crockett net, uh, is 152 inches. Number one deer ever in the county. Yeah. So are we going to grow 160s, 170s? Never. Right. But, or, you know, if you understand what's realistic and what the potential is mm-hmm. for where you stand, you know, we know if we can get a three-and-a-half-year-old to the 120 class maybe, um, if you're seeing some 130s maybe or, or even 140s, you're doing really good once you, you know. But, again, it, it comes from measuring your success where you stand. If yeah. you go into this thinking, I'm going to do QDM, can't wait to kill a 180-inch, mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to tell you, you're <laughs> yeah. probably going to be disappointed. It's about realistic your, goals. Yeah. Set your standards what the land will provide. That's right. Yeah. You know, even in the best areas, there's a bell curve out there yeah. in age, in scores in an age group. If you take all the five-and-a-half-year-olds in some great area, they're not all going to be 170 inches. Right, yeah. There's a bell curve. There's yeah. an average that might surprise you to find that your average five-and-a-half-year-old, even on great dirt, mm-hmm. is in the 130s to 140s maybe. Right. And there's even some mature bucks out there that are 110s and, you know, even lower. And But they're rare, just like those 180-inch five-and-a-half-year-olds are rare. Are rare. So... You have to learn to appreciate that. That's mm-hmm. like us. You know, we hunt on Cottonmouth there in Mississippi River inside the levees, and you think about that, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's big deer everywhere. 
And, I mean, yeah, we kill some nice deer there, but the majority of what we kill between four and seven years old are, you know, that 115 to 130 range. Right. And you've got the nice deer you're seeing Mm -hmm. because of statistics. You've simply cranked out good, you've protected the younger bucks, you're cranking out a lot of mature bucks, and that gives you the opportunity to see more of those top enders. I see a lot of people, I have have folks come to me and say, uh, uh, you know, we've been doing QDM a few years and we're just not seeing the deer, the bucks, the 150s and 60s and 70s we thought we would see with this. And I'll usually ask, okay, so what's your buck harvest rule? And almost always what they'll say is 120s or better. Well, what are they doing? Killing your top end young deer. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They are killing their best bucks when they're two and a half. Yeah. Because in, in Georgia and some of these areas, you know, in the best areas of Georgia where I, I'm hunt hunt and familiar with what's going on in those areas with habitat, you know, you can produce some two-and-a-half-year-olds that are in the 120s. Yeah. And they're not going by age. They're seeing 120-inch deer. They're killing it. Well, that, that two-and-a-half-year-old 120, that's your 150, 160 maybe right. at maturity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we teach people to focus on age. If you want to see those top-end deer, you have to look at the age of the deer and take that in consideration. Yeah. One thing I've evolved from in the last three or four years, I guess, there's a ton of clubs in Mississippi that go off beam length mm-hmm. and width. Well, that has nothing to do with that. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a three-year-old deer that's going to have an 18- or 19-inch beam in Mississippi, you know. But if he's two and got 18- or 19-inch beam, you can still shoot him, and that's going to be an even bigger deer when he's three. So. Right. And on, on the opposite end of that spectrum, I, I don't want to say who it is or where they were because I don't want to, you know, throw them under the bus. But I, I had a friend one time, he sent me a video. He was bow hunting. He sent me a video on his cell phone, and it was a buck under his stand. I'm talking under his stand. And the deer looked like a cow. Had to have been a five- to six-year-old deer, just a, just a brunt of a deer. And he he had these his antlers went straight out. I mean he's just a just a cow. And I was like, I I texted him back. I said, What are you doing? Sending me a video. You know what are you doing? You know shoot that deer. Right. That's, he's huge. And he said, I can't. I'm like, What do you mean you can't? Beams aren't 18 inches. Right. I'm, that's a like I said. That's a, at least a five and a half year old deer. At yeah. least the best programs you know that have a buck rule like that. You really, yeah. It is easier to count points and look at spread and whether it's outside the ears than it is for most of us to judge age. That takes a little learning. You've got to study deer and trail cameras. You've got to pull jaw bones. Right. It's not perfect, but can you learn to, to estimate age? You know, yes, you can. So if you're trying to manage deer by age, you need, and you're going to go have a buck rule, like you said, that, that's trying to protect some of those younger deer. You need a pressure release valve, like you're talking about, that says, hey, if you suspect he's five and a half plus, the antler rule doesn't apply. And that's where right. you pull the jawbone and, and say, you know, clearly, body-wise, you know, you could tell this deer was fully mature. Uh, he just didn't, he, you know, not all bucks that are mature are going to have giant antlers. Right, yeah. Um, so, you know, like I always say, you take the jawbone and you hang that on the wall. Yeah. You know, that's a fully mature buck. Mm-hmm. That's a hard deer to see and kill. Yeah, I don't it's care what's on his, his own. Yeah, I on, agree. On his head. You know? 100% agree. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Those, those old bucks are, whew, yeah. They can be, yeah, they're wise. They didn't get, you know, to that age, but uh, being stupid. But, you know, there are definitely the ones out there that just don't have the uh, the, the great antlers like you would think they would have at right. maturity. But, but like I say, that's a that's a crop that's ready for harvest. Right. You know, take him to the shed and collect that jawbone and enjoy some venison. Yeah, and one of my best friends and one of the guys that I look up to the most in, in terms of hunting, he said one time, he said, that buck does not know what he has on his head. He's still a five-year-old buck. He's just as much of a trophy as the one that's got – 
160, you That's know, right. to like me. That's right. we've been chasing around Cottonmouth. He's about six years old. There's a, there's <laughs> a six-year-old deer. Him. He's got one point that's like 12 inches long, and we can't see him for the life of us. Right. We get pictures of him. If we do see him, it's, you know, <laughs> he's getting it. Now, the, the, one of the things I want to point out about that, because this will be something that a lot of your listeners will, might be thinking, because this is another one of those misunderstandings that's out there. There's nothing wrong with that deer, and there's no. nothing wrong with him being out there if you don't get him. You know, we can't manage deer genetics, not in wild deer. Right. You can manage age, you can manage nutrition, and have huge success. Don't mm. worry about the genetics. A lot of people would think, well, we need to get him out of the gene pool. No. The, the science on this is very clear. In fact, we even had a talk here uh, yesterday out of Texas. I don't know if you guys saw that on a big new intensive study on culling, and they couldn't make it work mm-hmm. right. on uh, tens of thousands of acres in Texas with all kind of money and technology to do the culling. So it made no difference in antler quality. Right. You don't need to worry about those older bucks with smaller antlers. That's not a problem. Right. Okay. Um, you can't manage genetics, but but it is a mature deer. They're, if you can kill him, kill him. That's a hard deer. Yeah. To, you yeah. know, it's it's so, something you should celebrate. So just to clear that up, you know, black and white, as data shows, if a deer's five years old and he's a six point, if you kill him, it's not going to it's not going to make your herd better antler-wise. No, right. no. It makes zero difference. No. You cannot manage you, genetics in wild deer. You hear that a lot. That's I've, I've got, that is one of my pet peeves. It's just an excuse for somebody to kill a younger deer. They, they say, oh, he had a messed up side, so he's two years old, so I shot him. I didn't want him around there. Yeah, and you hear that a lot. And, of course, what we say about that is, look, you know, it's regrettable that we have in some areas um, – the attitude that you have to say that sort of thing when you killed a deer you really just wanted to kill if you wanted that deer and it made you happy be proud of it enjoy it take it eat it my hat's off to you yeah um but but you know i none of us should ever find ourselves in a position of making someone else feel bad for a deer they took Mm -hmm. because that's where this has come from some hunters who have looked at others and said man he'd have been a good one next year Uh, and made people feel bad about a deer they took and that's why people often hide behind well he was a cold buck they don't you know they're looking for that justification so it's that's his on all of us i think i agree um going forward that we all should all remember if someone took a deer legally and ethically then that's all yeah that's all you need to know hats off to him more power to you Uh, good on you and enjoy that venison and and you're a hunter just like I am yeah if it makes you happy and it's legal shoot it that's if you're hunting legally and do it you're good with me I've a I agree 100 percent so um last question again because I know you're busy but I definitely want to touch on this so if I hear this a lot I'm sure you hear it a lot too I'm sure you do Jordan so if a person is interested about QDM they don't know that much about it. They have questions. Maybe they've heard a little bit. Maybe they haven't heard much of anything, and they're interested in getting involved. What What are some things that they can do? You know, if they have, you know, some property that they, you know, what, what can they do? Well, you can, uh, as a start, you know, this is what QDMA is here for, is, is answering those types of questions, helping folks with that. We've got a whole world of different resources like right. that. We've got free stuff on our website at QDMA.com that anybody can go and look at. Uh, once you join and become a member, you get our magazine, which has a whole bunch more information. And then we've got our Deer Steward program, which y'all may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how far you want to immerse yourself. Uh, you can get in touch with our local branches. Uh, these are our, our groups of members locally that, that are volunteers for the organization right. that help us with the education process. 
they have field days uh, to help educate folks. They'll they'll help you with this stuff. So we've yeah. got a, a ton of resources like that. I would also say, you know, get in touch with your local state agency wildlife biologist. Right. Uh, this person, you know, QDM and deer management is something that should happen locally, mm-hmm. you know, because you need to get a feeling for what is the deer herd in your area like? Is it too high for the habitat? Is it too low for the habitat? What are the plant species out there? What are the, you know, is agriculture common or is it not? There, you know, everywhere the issues are different. So get in touch with your local state agency wildlife biologist too and get them to, to help you a little bit with some of the local information about, right. about managing deer. So, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be this thing you jump out there and bite off all at once. It can be a little bit at a time, right. yeah. whether it is, you know, first determining do we need to take a few does and if so, how many and, and begin to take a doe or two. And again, passing a yearling buck or two. It's a small step you take. Right. Um, same thing with habitat improvement. You don't have to jump out there and start prescribed fire and chainsaw and, and all of that. Um, start with a small food plot. Start with just a small habitat improvement project. Plant a persimmon tree. Plant a crab apple tree and set you up a bow stand. Take it small and, and work your way into it. You know, right. uh, I've had access to go into new properties and and, and look at them and go, what can we do for deer here? And if you try to wrap your mind around every possibility all at once, it will blow your that's, mind. It'll yeah, make your I, head hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The thing you that stuck out when Mr. Craig said it, you're never done. Right. And you keep improving it till the day you die. And you can't do it all at once. No. So yeah. just start small in different ways. Habitat, herd, start small and take little steps. Yeah, but, but again, you know, like what I've learned and just through, you know, getting into doing some of that myself and then being able to see some other people's properties that they worked on, and then, especially, I, I always talk about Jordan, like because uh, he always. But I've I've met several people, Jordan included, that they get to the point where they love working on the habitat just as much as they do hunting. It's yeah. fun, and you you like not only that, you like seeing the results of it. Yeah. You, you like watching. You like watching see the literally see the herd get healthier. It's yep. it's fun and it's rewarding. It's like planting a garden. I mean, you till the ground, you plant you what you want to harvest later in the year. You watch it grow, then you finally get out there and pick your peas, and you're like. I don't know why I'm doing this, but it sure is fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, the, there's a the good point to be made is, too, you don't have to own the land mm-hmm. if you've got a hunting lease right. or, you know, a you know, friend just lets you hunt a place or whatever. Uh, so maybe you don't have the power in those situations to do significant habitat improvements like timber thinning or clearing, you know, right. planting food plots. Maybe you can't do that and burn and things like that. But that's where you can do the herd manipulation. Right. You know, if, if um, you've owned, the habitat is what it is, you just want to make sure you've got the right number of deer out there for the food that's out there. You can make a huge difference in deer herd health and body sizes, antler size, and everything else just by manipulating your trigger decisions right. in those cases. Yep. So, again, you don't have to own the land to, yeah. to make better deer hunting where you're hunting. Yeah, and even to, to like that, the, uh, the cooperative thing that people are doing, like we talked about earlier, if someone doesn't own you know a whole bunch of land you know you get together and you know get that to work there's there's so many options that that i found that that qdm can work for people we we all and you've been there we sit in our deer camp in the fall and we hear a gun go off somewhere across the property and what does everybody say who is that <laughs> where's that he probably shot a year in buck, yeah. right we, you know you, you blame it if I shoot. you know and the thing is they're sitting what we found is they're sitting over in their camp going oh those scumbags over there across the line are shooting everything mm. you know we and we've never met each other right yeah. people are intimidated we're intimidated about meeting folks across the creek we've never talked yeah. to but you know what we find most of the time when you go do go meet those folks is they were thinking the same thing they're already interested in qdm too most of them are right and you know, like I said before, in a patchwork uh, map of the area, if you get 
most of the, the other hunters around you to go along with some ideas like protecting yearling bucks, it doesn't matter if 100% don't. It doesn't right. matter if some of the others hold out and still want to hunt a different deer than you. If most of you are working in that direction, you know, you can make a big difference for all of them. Yeah. Then you can even still eventually, you leave the door open to those other folks to come in as they begin to see the changes that are, that are being made. You know, you don't ever want to ex- excommunicate someone or shut them out because they, you know, uh, weren't interested initially we're all right. deer hunters we ought to be you know keep in touch with each other you never know when you know uh, you you need a blood trail one across the property line and you got your buddy's cell phone number over there you can call him and go over and help vice versa you know you just help each other we're all deer hunters um and eventually you know we can all learn from each other yeah, a white-tailed deer does not know what a property line looks like no <laughs> yeah, they don't they sure don't yeah so uh, guys when we post this podcast we'll, we'll definitely link it to the QDMA website so you can get to some of the stuff that that Lindsay was referring to thank you so much for your time today I've I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this discussion Jordan I know you have yeah, too yeah and I mean for people out there who's got questions I mean there's no dumb questions to ask if you don't know ask yeah. No, and, and in fact, on our website, we've got a, uh, an Ask an Expert feature where you can just mm-hmm. click, send us an email, and one of our staff members will get back to you with uh, a detailed response on whatever questions you've got. We're, that's what we're here for and here to help. So Never learn it all. That's awesome. So, guys, definitely, if you have any questions about QDM, if you've been kind of intimidated by QDM you know, or not knowing what to think about it, then I hope that, you, that you've gotten something out of this podcast. We're going to let – Lindsay go because again I know you're busy this weekend thank you so much for your time as always guys if you have any questions feel free to send them in to the email to our Instagram or Facebook whatever you need to do and as always thank you for listening to the speak the language podcast